Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Sunday night, finally back in San Francisco. It's kind of funny because I say where I'm at, but it's not really where I'm at when we release the shows. So uh, (laughs) the, the complications of producing and editing and getting out shows and putting them out in a timely fashion or when news is hot is tricky. But today we have some very hot topics for you guys. So, David, why don't you introduce the folks to what we're talking about? Yeah, so much has happened in the last week. Ryan Selkis is getting uh, attacked on Twitter by the XRP army and getting called from random internet strangers with his wife's birthday and threatening his life. Uh, We've had uh, Vlad Zamfir and Nick Zabo go at it after Vlad releases a pretty aggressive article that kind of attacks one of a basic core tenant of cryptocurrency. Uh, and and meanwhile, and yeah, no blockchain, you're for sure. I should, that was the right word. Uh, and then meanwhile, as everyone's at each other's neck, prices are dropping. So, uh, yeah, that, I, did I hit all of the topics we're going to talk about? Did I miss anything? I think that's it. Yeah, no, I think that's everything. Uh, I know that you're not too upset about prices dropping. <laughs> Why is that? Yeah, so on Ethereum, there's this uh, DYDX trading protocol. So it's a decentralized exchange for shorting or uh, leveraging long on ETH. Uh, and I was short ETH. I am currently short ETH. Uh, and so what I did is with my Ether that I have in my CDP on Maker, I minted some DAI and bought some short ETH. And now, uh, you know, if all things stay the same or continue in this trend, uh, I will be able to sell my short ETH tokens for more DAI than I bought them with because the price has gone down. And then I'll be able to pay back my ma- maker loan that I got and then have some DAI left over. So just really nice. Trading is awesome when you do it right. Yeah, feels good. Tipping my hat off to you for, you know, really leveraging all that Ethereum has to offer at the moment and leveraging DeFi. Yeah, that was a pretty complete uh, decentralized finance stack. You're you're totally right. Where uh, my Ether is in MakerDAO, which gave me a decentralized loan at 0.5% interest yearly. And then I went to DYDX, which is a permissionless long short exchange. Uh, yeah, so pretty cool. I'm happy with it. Yeah, I love how how you're leveraging it and you're actually using Ether for its best use case at the moment. Uh, You know, I personally think that holding Bitcoin, but also introducing people to Bitcoin, using it for small transactions. um, I've actually bought a couple of things with uh, some Bitcoin. It, It really makes the cryptocurrency experience a lot better. You know, obviously sending a small transaction during the height of the bull run is not fun at all, but... At these moments, it's pretty cool to use crypto. Uh, so if you haven't been using your crypto at all, I recommend getting the Cash App, downloading it, uh, you know, getting some Bitcoin pretty easy on there and, you know, sending it to a friend. You can play around with the DeFi stack. Uh, I know David is enjoying that, too. It's a fun activity when I'm bored. Anyways, let's get into the uh, the meat of this episode. So the, the big topic is the the Vlad Zabo argument. Uh, so we're going to get to that. Um, but right now, I kind of want to talk about uh, what happened to Ryan Selkis. Uh, for those who don't know, Ryan Selkis is the head behind Mizari Crypto. And Mizari Crypto, mm-hmm. actually just Mizari, um, is kind of trying to position themselves as the Bloomberg of cryptocurrency. So uh, doing actually in-depth research, uh, you know, 
through getting data that most people don't have access to and then uh, releasing reports and having kind of a terminal-like thing. Just really great work. Uh, Ryan's been on Unchained podcasts. I'm pretty sure he's been on Laura Shin's podcast. Uh, and, and so you should, guys should definitely check those out if you don't know what Mazari's uh, doing. Um, but super valuable stuff. Just really bringing... Uh, a level of research and insight into the cryptocurrency world that we kind of need for bigger institutions to start to become comfortable with cryptocurrency. So the report that Mazari Crypto, I don't know why I keep saying Mazari Crypto, uh, but Mazari uh, released was about how uh, the circulating supply of the XRP cryptocurrency, if you call it a cryptocurrency, is actually likely much uh, less than, it, than it's reported. Uh, and one of the the big things that I learned in this in this uh, report was that the first like six months of blocks I might be getting this wrong. Um, there's a there's a section of blocks in the uh, in the XRP blockchain that's just not reported, and it's the very first section. And so we don't know what the hell happened in these blocks. We don't know where the XRP currency went in these blocks. Uh, and so we don't we don't know what's going on with that. And so uh, XRP Ripple, Ripple the the company behind XRP has stated that these Ripple Coin, <laughs> Ripple Coin basically has stated that these uh, these these tokens, these XRP currencies are in circulation. Uh, and so that's just what has been reported on Coin Market Cap and anywhere you check the market cap of anything, it's including those those things. But Mazari did a, did a little research and said that that they don't find any evidence for. Uh, about 50% of XRP's circulating supply doesn't seem to be there. Uh, and so you should definitely read the report if you want to get more into this because it'll explain it better than what we can give you right here. But the big claim was that uh, XRP's market cap should actually be about $6 billion, not $12 billion, which significantly, you know, is 50%. Um, and that drew a lot of hate from the XRP crowd. Still puts it squarely in number two, though. So that just shows you how tiny these other currencies are. Yeah, yeah. There's a big drop-off between uh, number three right now, Ethereum, and number four, EO. So Bitcoin's at $61 billion, XRP's at $12.5 billion, and then Ethereum's at $11.5 billion, and then EOS is at $2 billion. So, you know, there's kind of just three leaders. Uh, but really, if you take, uh, if you believe Mizari, which I certainly do, because they have a very unbiased, they have no agenda, so they're, I think they're easy to trust. Uh, and so you, 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 there's really just Bitcoin at 61 billion, Ethereum at 11 and a half, and then XRP at, at 6 billion. But one of one of my tweets that I that I sent out was, okay, so we know that, um, we know that there is likely a chance that Ripple did some strategic maneuvering with trying to overinflate the size of the circulating supply by doubling it. And so we know because of this report, we know that the uh, market cap should be six billion. What should the market cap be after we take out if after we control for the dis the clearly uh, prevalent misinformation campaign that's uh, that's being orchestrated on Twitter and just around the social medias? Because the XRP community is unlike any other community in cryptocurrency, and they are it's just incredible. There's a reason why it's called the XRP Army. And it's using, to me, I see the same tactics being used as uh, you know Russia's misinformation campaign or any misinformation campaign that leverages social media. We see that same pattern of behavior in XRP. So somebody is 
promoting this behavior. So what happens when you control for that? What if we had a universe where Ripple's market cap also didn't have this manipulation of social media? And I think that would take out another 50%. And so really, uh, XR, that was just a total number out of my out of my butt. I just made that up. But it's I think it's reasonable. So that, that $12 billion that Ripple's currently at is proven to be, should be at $6 uh, billion because of Mazzari and Ryan Selkis' uh, work. I think you could take another 50% off that and bring it down to $3 billion, and then it's on par with EOS and Bitcoin Cash and the other um, shit coins, you could say. <laughs> so do you consider EOS a shit coin? Because I remember a period of time where you were kind of excited about it. Yeah, uh, and then I realized how parallel it was to AWS, and I was like, oh, wait, that's just that's not cool. Pretty sure Amazon has more than 21 different data centers, so that's more decentralized than EOS. EOS is a shit coin, though. Yeah. I'm all on record for that from the get-go. Um, <laughs> you are, you but are. But yeah, I think the most, the, first and foremost, I got the coin market cap page on, and really we should be on on-chain FX, which is one of Masari's products, um, which is far better than uh, far better than coin market cap. But if you just look at the volume on XRP, it's about $400 million right now. Let's compare that to EOS, which is number four, and has... A, what, a sixth of its market cap. EOS is at 800 million, right? So EOS is already four times higher in volume than XRP. But let's now compare XRP's uh, market cap to Ethereum's market cap. Ethereum is at 3 billion, essentially, and Bitcoin is, is hovering around 6 billion right now. So Ripple is not even close to these in any way in terms of volume on exchanges as well as, you know, liquidity, trading pairs, all those kind of things. So Ripple being in that number two spot seems like manipulation. Like it doesn't, like, you know, it doesn't take a genius to look at this and be like, weird. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, you, we see evidence for manipulation in other spheres, not just the supply of the XRP currency. Uh, and so I, I kind of took a, a little, I t took this kind of personally because I'm a big fan of truth. Uh, and so I started, you know, tweeting about uh, Ryan, Ryan Selkis' work, you know, giving high praise to him, saying, hey, thanks for, thanks for doing what you're doing. Sorry people are threatening your life and sorry you had to go to the FBI to report three different calls from random people threatening your, you and your wife's safety. That, that actually happened. That, that's a real story. Uh, and, then, and then a bunch of XRP folks uh, and oh, let me actually pull this up. This is this came from Ryan Selks' Twitter account. He goes, "I want Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, uh, Monica Long, SF, Corey TV, Joel Katz, Warpaul, all all Ripple people, uh, to denounce any XRP community threats against my family. I'm going to the FBI and local police after three calls ensuring uh, our family doesn't get swatted. I'm not going home until it's publicly stated." And then the the most common response I saw from the XRP fan base, whatever you call them, was that, oh, like, the, the XRP, the, the Ripple team it has absolutely no responsibility over these people. Like, why does, does Ryan Selkis think that he gets to just command a, a denouncement or, or anything about people that they have absolutely zero association with? And this is absolutely ridiculous. And Ryan Selkis clearly has an agenda, and he's, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. A bunch of just ridiculous stuff uh, that's it, it got me pretty worked up. Uh, and so, okay, coming from XRP charts. Lol, who is this guy? If he is so concerned for his family, why is he still on Twitter tweeting and retweeting a shitstorm? Go take care of your family. My wife must be impressed you're on the phone. 
and then another XRP guy. I'm not going home until Brad Car- uh, Brad Garlinghouse publicly states when XRP will hit five hundred and eighty nine dollars. <laughs> so they're 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 he's they're just trolling him, and this guy's just having like the worst day of his life as people call his home phone number and recite his wife's birthday to him. That also a true story. Uh, and so okay, so I released n- not to talk about Twitter too much, but I tweeted out. Uh, a bunch of stuff in Ryan Selks's defense saying like, Hey Ryan, like, thank you for taking one for the team. And then, and then I noticed that all of these, uh, uh, XRP army people, cause they, cause they come in and they come and attack me too. Cause they just attack anybody who is saying anything negative about XRP. And so I noticed that like somebody will say something negative about XRP and then that person will immediately get 10 likes and no comments over but from other XRP people. And so I get this notification. I, I, I see like XRP army member number 742 likes 13 comments uh, re- replying to your tweet. And I go look at them and they're all other pro XRP people who have left comments. And so I, I write a tweet that says, there are XRP bots systematically every systematically liking every anti-Ryan Selkis comment made by an XRP army member on my posts. Most accounts follow zero people and have zero followers. The XRP army says blatant lies loudly and often. Bots back them up. These are Trump plus Russia tactics. Sorry to bring in politics, but I did. Um, and and so like and and to my point like they the, the XRP army just comes and uh, in droves onto this post and starts just doing the exact same things I'm claiming they're doing, and they all act in unison like they love to talk in memes and so they start sharing memes of like robot memes and they like 50% of them say beep boop beep boop I'm a robot blah 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 and it's like it's like 30 of them are saying beep boop beep boop in the comments and like it's just way too. The, the, there's only like three different types of comments. One's a GIF comment, one's a beep boop beep boop comment, and one's a you have no proof, you have no proof comment. And so like it, they're just laughing in my face because yeah, I have no proof, and that's what they're pointing out because it's designed to be that way. And so it, it's and then it's oh, it just got me worked up. All right, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, XRP has an army of robots on Twitter, guys. You heard it here. True, We're the true first story. ones to break the news to you. This is groundbreaking. <laughs> don't trust the don't trust the bots. Um, David, let's move on to our next subject. <laughs> beep boop, beep boop, beep boop. <laughs> Uh, we're going to sign off later with that today. Okay. So Vlad Zamfir, uh, leading Ethereum co- core dev, has a lot of very strong opinions, has released an article called Against Zabo's Law for a New Legal System. Uh, Christian, do you want to go kind of gloss over what this article is about or go into detail with it? Or, or you want me to? I mean, I, th- I think our listeners are more interested in hearing your opinion because I think they're assuming what my opinion is. <laughs> But I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, ad- I'll address it with a couple of things that I found that are really odd, and then I'll let you just get at it. Well, let me, um, let me read bits of the article first, um, and so to, to provide our listeners with some context. Uh, so okay, sounds good. Vlad has uh, always kind of had his own uh, line of reasoning when it comes to blockchains, and he has uh, frequently communicated that he really is scared about what happens when you let these autonomous blockchains kind of go about their lives autonomously without any oversight and human control. And so he's released an article that says that basically there needs to be oversight over blockchains somehow. 
some way just to make sure that you know if if we need to undo something, we are able to undo something. Uh, actually, I think that's a pretty good synopsis of it. I don't think I need to read too much after that. That's basically what he's saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I. I think yeah, I think he's been pretty consistent about this. So the article itself is not a surprise. It's very interesting. They just kind of attacking against Nick Zabo that happened in a kind of sleight of hand way in the article and then very blatantly on Twitter. Um, and I, I think you had feelings about that too. But just to get into the meat of this, he makes a very strong assertion at the beginning of the article that there currently exists laws that are governing the crypto space. He says that people don't like to admit that, but they do exist. The three laws are don't break the protocol, uh, keep crypto law legal, essentially don't break the law of your jurisdiction, and then the Zabo law, which he says, uh, he says, Zabo law is simple. Do not implement changes to the blockchain protocol unless the changes are required for the purpose of technical maintenance. Right, so it means, like, don't edit the balances and don't do this, don't do this, don't change things in the blockchain that um, don't have a technical reason for you to be be making changes. Um, and pretty much, he says that these are laws of blockchain, which I find is really weird, um, just because there could be culture around that, like development culture around that, um, social cultures around that, community cultures around these kind of ideas. I do not think that they're consistent by any means. There's plenty of blockchains that don't follow Zabo's law. You know, I would say only the few best actually kind of follow some sort of keep the blockchain immutable for real um, type of a mentality. Um, and then in terms of the other things, like keep crypto law legal, like don't break laws. I think that, again, those are choices, not any sort of law. There's plenty of people out there that are totally breaking law. It's kind of funny, like, uh, Ricardo Spagnoli or uh, Spagnola Fluffy Pony of Monero. Um, you know, I, I I think that you can't get him on anything, but I definitely don't think that he's uh, you know doing anything that would be any way super lawful. Um, and then don't break the protocol. Um, again, <laughs> I think people put in code that breaks the protocol all the time. Breaking the protocol is bad for your protocol. So. <laughs> Like, how is that a law? That's just kind of like how life works. So, I, again, I guess I went on a little rant there. But overall, my general opinion is that he he kind of says that we have these laws that I don't think we do. And then he's trying to argue that one of them is bad, um, which is the one that is that you shouldn't, you know, make changes to the protocol that don't have a reason, like a technical reason to make that change. So he's really starting to talk about... Uh the social norms behind blockchain development. Uh, and he goes, and the, the first law is just really obvious to me. And I don't actually think that you can make the case that it's actually a social norm. Crypto law, number one, don't break the court, the protocol. Like you're saying, it's it don't introduce a bug that breaks the blockchain. And that's, that's not, I mean, I guess you can make the argument that it's a social construct that we've all agreed to not introduce a bug or a, a change to the blockchain core that, that makes it broken. But that's just like, why would anyone do that? I guess you can say that's a law because we're all following that rule of thumb, but like, we don't even have to say that. Um, okay. No, I think that that's like, 
first and foremost, people break protocols and have incentive to break protocols all the time. Have you seen all the 51 attacks? It's by no means a law. It's just that, you know, most people that are in the blockchain community are incentivized to do so in some sort of a positive manner. Mm -hmm. And if you're a developer, you're not breaking the protocol. But if you are incentivized to attack it, then you're attacking it. Like, by, like this is a freaking you know environment with many different players and they have different incentives i don't understand like this is it's utterly stupid to call this a law yeah yeah um yeah yeah and then crypto law number two is kind of where i started to diverge from uh vlad's opinion so crypto law number two is keep crypto legal and he's he's actually literally talking about the legal system of the various countries that blockchains operate in, which are all of them. And so he's saying that crypto law operates inside many jurisdictions of many legal systems and is very much structured by attempts to avoid disputes with or in these legal systems. Developers and other crypto people structure their affairs in an, in an effort to prevent disputes that might be brought to existing legal systems. As a result, crypto law operates legally in the jurisdictions of these uh, legal systems, at least for now. Devs make technical decisions in order to minimize their exposure to possible liability. They will choose a solution that involves assuming less liability over one that involves more, all else being equal. Often, They will often cite their concerns that something might be illegal under some existing legal systems or that they will be sued for their exercise of power as motivations for their decisions. Okay, so one of the biggest concepts that brought me into cryptocurrency blockchain world was that a blockchain is its own nation. It is a cyber nation that plays by its own rules that doesn't actually answer to anyone's rules. And so this is where I, I've, I've just fundamentally disagree agree with Vlad. Uh, what laws is Bitcoin or Ethereum supposed to follow? Are, like, are we supposed to follow America's laws? Are we supposed to follow the UK's laws? Are we supposed to follow Uganda's laws or Russia's laws? Do we have to follow all of them? Like, it's just ridiculous that we have to trans transpose uh, everyone's legal system onto the blockchain. And so I think this is where, where Christian will super duper agree with me, where every, every different uh, country, every country's different legal system is subjective. And so every, every country has different values and they cho- have chosen laws that follow those values. And to say that crypto blockchains need to answer to to all these various different legal systems is just it's it's backwards it's it's the opposite of that we need to specifically ignore these legal systems so we can have a functioning blockchain yeah totally agree just to kind of add on to that it seems to me when i read this part he was talking more about individuals so if you are an individual in the united states if you don't want to have legal issues today you are not doing icos you're probably not creating, um, you know, trading, some sort of trading tool that can be interpreted as a security, at least if you're, you know, uh, if you're known, right? If you're anonymous, that's completely different. And a lot of people are anonymous, and a lot of people are anonymously degaffing about the U.S.'s laws, even while they're in the United States. So, again, I don't understand how this is a law. I think this is a personal choice. Like, I'm making a personal choice not to break the United States law. Someone else can make the personal choice to do whatever the F they want, and they are doing it, and they have the complete ability to, with the technology that exists today that is accessible to any person, especially a technical person, to pretty much do whatever they want in cyber world. 
uh, wherever they live. So, I mean, if you cover your tracks, you can do whatever you want, and people are doing it. Yeah, and the, the last thing I would want is a state-sponsored blockchain, and uh, I would have no interest in Ethereum or Bitcoin. Not that I have any worry of Bitcoin having this problem, but since Vlad is an Ethereum developer, I guess I do should have be worried that Vlad is trying to steer Ethereum into this. But, I mean, this is where I, I came up with my Twitter handle, Trustless State. Like, I want a trustless state of Ethereum. I don't want Ethereum to have to trust any sort of... Uh, and, and this is where I was getting a little bit confused as to what Vlad actually wanted. Like, does he want this governing body of people that you can go to, like the crypto United Nations, where we go and make decisions about, you know, what smart contracts should be on Ethereum and what shouldn't? Like, no, the whole point is that it's trustless. It's a trustless state. Uh, Ethereum is a trustless state machine. And if we have to have like, I think he's proposing something like a UN of blockchains where people can go get recourse about things. But it, it's just so backwards. I think you said it perfectly. We can just move on to uh, rule number three, Zabel's Law. Again, like I said, this seems obvious to me. David, I'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah, so um, I'm going to read a little bit of uh, crypto law number three, Zabel's Law. Zabo's law is simple. Do not implement changes to the blockchain protocol unless the changes are required for the purpose of technical maintenance. It's called blockchain governance minimization, but it can also be justifiably be, be called crypto law minimization because of the following crypto legal consequence. Crypto law does not, at least not crypto legally, manage disputes by making changes to the blockchain protocol unless they are justified as needed technical maintenance. It's a law that completely excludes other legal processes from touching the blockchain protocol, except as it is related to tech maintenance. <coughs> Nick Zabo has popularized his law in a few ways. By popularizing autonomous software in the crypto legal form of smart contracts, by arguing that the minimization of responsibility for developers isolates them from legal risk, by arguing that crypto legal systems with Zabo's law are more socially scalable, scalable than systems with more legal and political power. Uh, and so I think this was actually where Christian and I might have a little bit of a disagreement, but I would still say that both of us disagree with Vlad more than we disagree with each other. Christian, you want to take this? Let's just go to this list of three things, right? So first one, by popularizing autonomous software in the crypto legal form of smart contracts, right? All Nick did was put out an idea. He he, concept he was the first person that conceptualized a smart contract, right? And a, a uh, piece of code that executes itself. Um, in, you don't need to trust anyone that's going to execute it as long as you meet the requirements, right? So um, he did come up with that idea and put it out there. But I would say, again, like the, the association with legal, like he's trying to thread that theme, but he just doesn't do a good job of writing it in there. And I think that you have your own kind of uh, thoughts about, you know, just the general writing of this piece. But... Um, yeah, it's just kind of weird. Like, he put the idea out. You can't stop information. You know, if people pick it up and run with it, like, shit, they did that. And that's what Vitalik and he did. So, like, it confuses me. Like, on the Ethereum website, it says, build unstoppable <laughs> applications. So, we might have disagreements whether Ethereum can't do that, but that is what you're marketing, dude. So, like, it's kind of funny. Um, number two, by... Um, arguing that the minimization of responsibility for a developer isolates them from legal risk. I mean, again, I think this is a personal choice. 
you know, and Nick obviously has an opinion here and people agreed with it, but law kind of weird. And then lastly, the arguing that a crypto legal system like Nick's is more socially scalable than a system that is, you know, has more legal and political power. Um, I think this is up for the market to decide, right? So there are plenty of cryptos that have pure wet code, which is, you know, systems that operate off a of constitution or politics or whatever you want to call it. Like EOS is that, right? There's several of these LISC, you know, you can name them. And, you know, so far the market hasn't been choosing them. They've been choosing things like Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. The market is going to figure that out. Are you arguing that Bitcoin and Ethereum shouldn't also have the ability to test against the legal structure? Well, so Ethereum does, it's on the other side of things, at least with his last argument. Um, by arguing that crypto legal systems with stable as law are more socially scalable than systems with more legal and political power, there, there's a lot of nuance here. And so the reason why Bitcoin has grown so well is uh, because of its just unadulteratable organism. Like you can't fuck with it. It's going to grow regardless of you. And part of that is probably because of what Vlad is calling Zabo's law, which is you don't mess with the blockchain unless you absolutely have to. And there's absolutely no uh, politics about it. Like Bitcoin is the way that it is. And the only, only time you ever change Bitcoin ever is if it is broken. Uh, and so it it reduces the it, re it reduces the surface area of attack by not allowing anyone to ever change Bitcoin unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, Ethereum currently is not Bitcoin is improving. That so I don't think that that's the exact correctness there, but um, in a very very conservative manner, I would say the the core blockchain, the core blockchain protocol is what I'm going for. Yeah, never touch the consensus rules. Right. So far, it's never happened. Yeah. Um, Ethereum isn't following this model right now. And so this is actually where uh, me and Christian will separate, I think, is because I think that Ethereum, which readily hard forks and breaks consensus rules for to adopt new ones, uh, that I think is the right path forward for Ethereum. Uh, and, and for example, the DAO hard fork, I am I, was at, I, I wasn't in crypto during the DAO hard fork, but after learning about it, I'm absolutely f uh, in agreement with the choices that was made to fork the DAO, simply because the developers that are working on Ethereum need to be rewarded with their Ether. That just makes too much sense, and the hacker of the DAO fork doesn't get, shouldn't get any of that. And, and so you know, a lot of that offends a lot of people, and, and Vlad cites this, that the DAO hard fork was in violation of Zabo's law, and it offended... Nick enough that he disowned Ethereum in favor of Ethereum Classic. Uh, but if if we never forked away the DAO, uh, a lot of Ethereum people, developers, would not be rewarded by their efforts. And and that, that was a contentious hard fork. And since then, we've had like five or six more Ethereum hard forks uh, that are not contentious, that are in agreement, but they're for proving, improving the blockchain protocol so that they can become more socially scalable in the future. And socially scalable is about how many people it can reach. And so Ethereum is currently being hard forked after, after hard forked after hard forked uh, in order to implement new changes that are hopefully uh, designed to create better social scaling and, and adopt more people. Uh, where I will agree with Nick Zabo and disagree with Vlad is that 
uh, once Ethereum is in kind of its finished form, it's time for Zabo's law to more or less be implemented. Uh, and I don't think it's ever going to be black and white. It's not like we're ever going to be like, okay, we're hard forking all the time and now we're not. Uh, it's just over time, Ethereum will hard fork less and less often. And then maybe there comes a, a time where it's pretty much good enough that it never ever hard forks again, but we won't ever know if that time is here or not. But we'll slowly emphasize uh, Zabo's law over the current Ethereum rules. I So I agree with you. Again, I'm not arguing what will work, right? I'm, I mean, obviously, I am much more heavily favored for Bitcoin. So that is my opinion of what is the right way to scale and move forward. What is odd to me is that he's arguing, he, he's essentially saying that there shouldn't be an argument that this is too scary, that this is too bad for the world to even have, you know, to allow the market to have the, you know, autonomous, um, not political, not wet code version. He thinks that he's trying to argue that this is bad. And his subsequent tweets, he says that a lot more strongly. Um, so there's several tweets out there of him, like, you know, talking about Nick Zabo saying that he deserves, you know, all the vitriol on Twitter and blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, I, that, that, what make it's weird to me is that, you know, yes, you've had these observations. I just don't n understand where the legal context is. And, you know, it's just a really weird argument to me and like how he framed it. Um, I do have a hot take, though, regarding your opinion of Ethereum. Um, I think that Ethereum 1.0 or Ethereum 2.0 will never happen. We're just going to stay on Ethereum 1.0, and that's going to be perfectly fine for Ethereum. That reality will be discovered. We will see. Um, so I, I got increasingly frustrated uh, with this article as, as it went on because it started off pretty well organized, and then it kind of turned into just a a raging monologue that lacked organization. And like, aside from what, what I agree or disagree with in the article, like Vlad, come on, you got to edit your papers, dude. Like it's just not good writing. And, and you're, you clearly have a goal here. You have an agenda and you need your ideas to be, to get across to people. You got to write better, man. Like so you introduce so many uh, new terms that are just specific to this article and I have to try and figure out what the hell you mean by them. And and even Vitalik, who came into the comments, asked for clarification, and Vlad Vlad wouldn't give it. And, and so, like, I have to blame Vlad for kind of shooting himself in the foot here. Like, he didn't communicate this well at all. Like, it took me two and a half times reading this article to really be able to be prepared to talk about it on this podcast. And I, and I still don't know if I actually do know exactly what Vlad's positions are. Like, I'm sure if he was on this podcast, he would be like, no, 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 no. This is, that's not what I meant. I meant something like this. But like, you, you got to write better, dude. Vlad, come on the show. I added you several times. <laughs> we'll give you, a, we'll give you a, an opportunity, a platform to, uh, to talk about this. For, the, for those that do read the article, make sure you go down to the bottom and read Vitalik's comment because uh, when I did that, I just felt very relieved. I'm like, oh, thank you, Vitalik, for thinking exactly what I was thinking and, and voicing it. Um, let me read some of these. Uh, and so he, Vitalik starts off with a quote directly from the article. So this is the quote. He imagines a world in which crypto, political, and legal processes are necessarily going to, going to go either against his personal preferred political outcomes. We're talking about Nick Zabo here. 
or against the public good and therefore must be minimized. Fla uh, uh, Vitalik says, I think that's putting things too strongly. It's a general bedrock of lowercase c conservative social philosophy that while change can be good, there are many more ways for change to be bad than good. I hope this is easy for people to believe in 2019. And so randomized or even not super well-targeted mechanisms for achieving change are likely to lead to more net bad than net good. Now, I personally can see that it's not, that it's not axiomatically true that doing uh, nothing is safest, especially in the context of a changing environment. For example, I continue to believe that Bitcoin's failure to raise a block, block size by a significant amount in 2016 to 17 was a travesty and a great violation of many people's expectations of the protocol, and one that led to more total losses due to excess transaction fees than the amount, lo than the amount lost in the Mt. Gox hack. But this is the argument that you need to be arguing against. So that was, that was Vitalik's first comment, which I just thought was super poignant. Don't agree with everything there, but we'll see. Uh, I definitely think that it was very level-headed, and I'm glad that Vitalik did it because I think he read this article and was like, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> what is this guy talking about? Okay, so here, here's the, his next section. Zabo's law is not anti-political. It's a law that is aimed at shutting down political debate in order to guarantee Nick's preferred political events, uh, uh, political ends. I regard this kind of antisocial behavior to be bad faith participation in blockchain governance. And then Vitalik. Ultimately, what Zabo is trying to do is create a strong shelling fence. And I definitely reject the idea that shelling fences are antisocial. There is an inherent trade-off between optionality on the side of those taking actions and certainty on the side of those receiving the consequences of the actions. Shelling fences are an attempt to support the latter. To me, shelling fences are not about block, uh, blocking participation. They're about protecting non-participants and minorities. Okay, so this is where Vitalik gets like really academic and kind of lost me. And so this is... Do you know what a shelling point is? Yes, I know what a shelling point is. I'm not, I, I, there's an article about what a shelling fence is, and that's something totally different that I didn't exactly know of. Yeah, I don't know that definition either. I assume that is a, a wider shelling point. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so here's here's what I here's what I think uh, Vitalik means, and this is what I got out of this: is that um, Vlad is uh, attacking Nick for saying that blockchain should be totally apolitical and not have any sort of politics around them because there is no governance. Uh, and Vlad is saying, well, that itself is governance. That itself is being political, and because you're shutting down politics, that's to your your political agenda. But what I see that what I see going on here is like if you accuse somebody of stealing and they say, No, I'm not stealing, and then Vlad is saying, Oh, that's exactly what somebody who is stealing would say. Like you it's just not fair. Like you get to give them a chance to say that we should have no politics without the, claiming that they are being political about that. Like they have the right to say that in the first place. Well, I do think it's slightly political, and I would actually say that Bitcoin is a somewhat politically loaded technology, but there are other alternatives to Bitcoin. Uh, what is he trying to say? Like, what should we do about this? Like, what do you want us to do about the fact that Bitcoin is like this? I can understand if you say that that's bad for Bitcoin and that will be the reason it fails. Okay, that's an argument that you can back up. But, like, what is he trying to say? Like... We should get rid of code like Bitcoin and have code that only has a committee. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I totally agree. 
Uh, and then the last section, which is, um, what is an example, and here's Vitalik's comment, what's an example of a specific proposal that violates Zabo's law in order to achieve some objective that we can expect actually is likely to lead to more good than ill? I'll help by listing possibilities. Protocol changes that print coins and direct them to specific producers of public goods relevant to the blockchain, e.g. the Ethereum Foundation or ETH2 client devs. Um, protocol changes that print coins and directly direct them to credibly neutral public mechanisms like uh, liberal radical gadgets. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I think that's like public infrastructure. So saying like uh, allow new funds to be dedicated to public infrastructure. Another one, unstucking stuck funds. Another one, resolving future DAO-like scenarios. Another one, deleting data from the state whose availability violates almost all of our moral sensibilities. Or another one, shutting down smart contracts associating with applications that the U.S. blue tribe is totally cool with, but violate the sensibilities of other tribes. Uh, something involving undocumented immigrants. Then Vitalik finishes his comment saying, which of these do you support? Which, and the list is much longer. I just kind of read four of them. Which, which of these do you support? Which of them do you not? How confident are you that your views align with the majority? And how willing are you to accept uh, majorities doing any of the above without your consent as the price to pay for being able to achieve any of the above part of a majority without some minority's consent? Are there categories of possibilities that you think about that I did not even list above? And so what Vitalik is saying is basically what a lot of Bitcoiners will say with the problem with on-chain governance is when, where, do you, where do you draw the line as to what you change and what you don't? Like what, what is allowed to be changed and what is like just not big of a deal enough? And as soon as you start to have a political uh, conversation around these types of proposed changes, it kind of just snowballs into, well, now it's just something that looks something like the U.S. government, and we don't really want that at all. Or the current financial system. Yeah, that too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Tim Draper actually, he, when he speaks live and talks about fiat money, he says, I hate the word fiat. I prefer calling it political money because it's political money, and fiat is just kind of like this convoluted term that we use. Um, and it sounds like Vlad is advocating for political money, which we already have. I don't know why it needs a blockchain. Blockchains are supposed to create immutability, right? So, or at least make that easier. So what does Vlad think a blockchain is useful for um, while neutering what many would consider to be its only feature? Yeah, and I have absolutely zero qualms with the very bottom of a blockchain stack, the, the base Bitcoin protocol, the base Ethereum protocol. That absolutely needs to be untouchable that is the whole thing that uh you know you don't get to change bitcoin because bitcoin is its own organism you don't get to change ethereum because you know same, same deal uh, no one gets to change these things and as soon as some some few people have the ability to do that that's bad uh and especially when it comes to state control and so the, the whole as soon as you allow something to to control the bottom stack of the of the blockchain rather than just the uh, interlocking incentive mechanisms that that keep these things decentralized as soon as somebody is able to kind of subjectively control what they think is good and what they think is bad well then we're just back to to layer two governance which is pol political governance which is you know politics and stuff we already have i'm glad that we can all agree on this um please 
at us with what you think at Vlad and tell him to get on the podcast. I will be adding him because I'm not blocked. So just want to clarify that he has not blocked me yet, at least. But Vlad, come on the show. I think everyone deserves to hear answers to these questions. You know, Vitalik has even asked them, like, what do you propose? Like, what is on your mind? And should Ethereum investors be weary of your opinion not aligning with theirs? Yeah, like one of the biggest things that I didn't see in the article was concrete proposed solutions. So yeah, Vlad, if you're listening to this and you have a solution, come on to the podcast and tell our listeners. I'm also really grateful for this debate to have happened because this is exactly the type of content that POV Crypto wants and needs. This is what we're here for. And so there's there was a debate between a Bitcoiner and Ethereum guy, and now a Bitcoiner and Ethereum guy are talking about it. Uh, turns out we both agree with the Bitcoin guy on this guy, on this one. Yeah. Shout out Bear Market Gang. <laughs> Let's get it going. Bear Market Gang. I, I I think it's cool that we're we're all still here, even though we have different investment opinions, because this is investment opinions. Yeah, it, it is investment opinions, and it's about. I mean, I got to give credit to Glad to Vlad. He is looking out for humanity. He's looking. He's doing what he thinks is best, and he should absolutely not be, uh, you know, attacked or criticized for doing anything of that. Uh, we just, I, we just. Me and Christian seem to think he's wrong, and so does Nick Zabo, and some people agree with him, and some people don't. But these are the types of conversations that are super important to have in a bear market while none of us are making any money. So definitely glad to be having him. All right, guys. Tell us how you thought of this show. For once, I think David and I agreed on most of it, which is impressive, but very cool. And again, it shows us why we all are here. We all have similar shared values to some, uh, you know, to some level. Um, so try to find those values. Have a good debate. Catch it here on POV Crypto. You can catch the show. The new POV Crypto tagline is POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Ethereum and Bitcoin people listen to. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can catch the show on Twitter at POV Crypto Pod. You can catch me at CK underscore Snarks. David? At Trustless State, both on Medium and on Twitter. If you send in a screenshot of you reviewing the episode to David A. Hoffman at yahoo.com, you will get credit for our Ledger Nano X giveaway, as well as if you retweet the episode when it comes out on Twitter, you will also be given credit. So we're coming to the end of January. This is almost over. Get your points. We need to get to 50 five-star reviews. We have 41 five-star reviews. We have a 41 five-star combo. So don't break it, please. Or do break it, but if that's your deal, I'm not going to tell you not to. But no, do, do review us. Thanks for listening to the show. Please keep engaging us on Twitter. We're loving it. So uh, very excited for the future here. Yeah. Tell us what you think about your thoughts on uh, Vlad's article and, and whether we got any of our analysis wrong. We will be responding to you on Twitter. All right. See you guys later. Bye, Christian. Beep, beep, boop, boop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Good work. <laughs> if nothing's true, then you might as well tell. Then it's up for you too